0: Well, let me do, first of all, I do want to say thank you for coming. I, I realize one of the ways that the enemy works is that he loves to just give us any excuse to not gather with God's people. And one of the ways that it's more convincing, it seems often, is, oh, you know what, it's gross outside. And so I know that probably many of you fought a battle in your own heart, saying, oh, my house is warm, my car is cold. It seems like easy math to me. And so thank you for Heeding the voice of the Spirit and saying, no, I need to be with the people of God. I need to hear His Word and worship Him with His people. So thank you for being here this morning. With that, we want to hear from God, from His Word. So let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. If you're just joining us today, we last week started a walk through this book. And so we're going to just spend some time hearing the story of Jesus as told by Luke. So this morning we pick up this narrative in chapter 1, verse 5. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priests before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense— To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak Until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the day started fairly normally. Zechariah the priest woke up, got dressed dressed ate a quick breakfast, and then headed to the temple. He had come from his country home in the hills to serve one of his required weeks here in Jerusalem. See, there were 24 divisions of priests. And in addition to the the main festivals where all the priests had to be present, each of the 24 divisions was required to serve two one-week periods throughout the year in Jerusalem. And this week... The division of Abijah was scheduled, so Zechariah was in town with the rest of his guys from that division. As Zechariah got to the temple that day, he was just in time for the daily casting of lots. Each day, the priests who were on duty would cast lots to see who would get the honor of offering incense on that day. This offering of incense happened twice each day, once in the morning. And once at the time of afternoon prayers. Now, the casting of lots had always been kind of a strange thing for Zechariah. He wasn't exactly sure how he ought to feel about it. Because, on one hand, the chance that any day, just maybe, he would be picked to get the once in a lifetime privilege of going into the holy place and burning incense right outside the curtain that separated it from the holy of holies where God's presence dwelt. That was what every priest dreamed of. So naturally, every time they started the daily casting of lots, there was this bubbling of excitement of, what if it's today? What if it's me? But at the same time, Zechariah was an old man. And he'd been present for more casting of lots than he could count. And not once had he ever been picked. I mean, the odds weren't exactly in his favor. There were more than 18,000 priests, which is why you were allowed to only do this once in your life. But many priests lived and died without ever getting the opportunity. So after the years went by Zechariah had just kind of stopped hoping to get picked and just made his peace with it he was just happy to do his role at the temple and happy for those who got the opportunity in fact this morning he wasn't even really paying attention as they called out the names instead just talking to his friend catching up but suddenly as they were talking he heard what sounded like his name but but wait that's was probably the other Zechariah right but no they all turned they, and looked at him. They had called his name. Today was the day. He had waited all his life, never sure if this day would actually come. But out of nowhere, on a day that just started like any other day when he wasn't expecting it, out of nowhere, today became the best day of Zechariah's life. I mean, he couldn't believe it. He couldn't wait to get home and tell his wife Elizabeth what had happened. But first, there was the actual offering, the burning of incense, the moment he'd waited and hoped for. And that offering is what our passage is about this morning. Now, I wanted to set it up this way because I think when we just read it, sometimes we miss the wonder of what it was that happened that day. And if we don't feel how unlikely and how unique it was that Zechariah would be in the temple that day. One of 18,000 priests. In our passage this morning, as we look at this scene in the temple, this unlikely scene, is a story of prayers that seem unanswered for years. It's a story of God's unexpected working in the lives of ordinary, faithful people, and of his promises that remain unbroken even when they seemed impossible. So if you want to go ahead and throw up our outline, it's good. what I just said is similar to what our outline is going to be. In verses 5 to 7, we're going to look at some of these unanswered prayers. Then in verses 8 through 20, we'll see what this unexpected encounter was all about. And finally, in verses 21 to 25, we'll see God's unbroken promises. So walk with me back through this incredible story. Look down at your Bibles and, and first notice how Luke begins in verse 5. Notice he doesn't start out with once upon a time, or it was a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, or something like that because this isn't a fairy tale, this isn't a myth. Like we talked about last week, this is a true story that took place in real history. So the first thing Luke does is tell us that it took place in a very specific historical setting, namely in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now, as we're getting the setting here, because this is a story, as Luke gives us the setting, the setting's actually a pretty dark one. Very ominous. If this were a movie, there would be a lot of dark clouds. It'd be stormy. Because this Herod, he wasn't a good guy. In fact, he was a ruthless and violent ruler. He'd been given the throne by Rome, by Mark Antony, actually. He'd been given the throne by Rome, but he was basically just their puppet king. But Herod saw himself as someone great. In fact, he was known as Herod the Great. He was a power-hungry and harsh and oppressive ruler who even killed his own family when he suspected that they might have their sights set on his throne. There was a saying back then that it was actually safer to be Herod's pig than his family. If that tells you a little bit about this guy. All that to say, this wasn't a good time. On top of that, there had been 400 years of silence from God. 400 years since the last prophet had spoken the word of the Lord. Now the people were geographically back from exile. But not spiritually. They were in the land. They were back in, in Israel's land. But they were not experiencing the fullness of the promises of God. And so the question remained... Would God ever send the Messiah that they were longing for? Would God remember his people and keep his promises? Israel had waited and waited, and it seemed as though all their prayers were going unanswered. And it's in that context of the nation's seemingly unanswered prayers that we meet a priest and his wife. Now, we learn two main things about this couple— We learned that they were blameless and they were barren. First, we're told how they were blameless. They were poster child Israelites. I mean, not only was Zechariah a priest, he was married to a woman who was in the priestly line. Back then, this was considered like double honor. One of my favorite things I I came across this week was that it was an honor to be married to the priest. In fact, if there was a, a woman who was virtuous and like everybody thought well of her, they would say things like, Oh, you know what? She deserves to be married to a priest. Now, I spent all week trying to figure out how I could formulate that to tell my wife that she, sh- she should count herself blessed, to, but I, I never got there. So if you have any help for me, let me know. But back then, this would have been considered like these guys, these guys were it. I mean, he was a priest. She was from a priestly line. Not only that, I mean, they had the right backgrounds, but they didn't just come from good lines. They lived good lives. It says they were both righteous before God. Unlike some of the religious people of the day who just tried to look righteous before the people, Zechariah and Elizabeth were the real deal. They were truly righteous before God. What did that look like? Well, it says... They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. In other words, they obeyed God's word. They faithfully followed what he had commanded. Now, when it says blameless, keep in mind that doesn't mean sinless. They weren't perfect. but What it does mean is that they earnestly fought against the sin in their own hearts. And when they did sin, they dealt with it the way God had prescribed. Their lives were marked by an ongoing faithfulness. And devotion to God. That all sounds great. So far, they're the envy of everybody. But there was a problem. Look at verse 7. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now this was no small thing. This was likely the thing that caused Zechariah and Elizabeth the most pain And the most sorrow in their lives. Surely they had prayed countless prayers. Begging God for a child. But those prayers had gone unanswered. Not only that. There was also this deep sense of shame in this culture. When a couple couldn't have children. People looked at them like there was something wrong with them. Like they were broken or inferior. People often assumed that a couple's lack of children was God's curse on them. Because of some sin in their lives. If they didn't have kids, well, there must be something that we don't know about. But that's why it's so important that Luke included verse 6 before verse 7. He wants us to see, wait a minute, this couple was living faithfully. They were righteous, and yet they still had this deep pain in their lives. They were blameless, but they were barren. They didn't have the child they longed for. And what I think Luke wants us to see here is that when there's pain in our lives and things don't look the way we hoped for, that doesn't necessarily mean it's because of something we've done wrong. It doesn't mean God is angry with us. Zechariah and Elizabeth's barrenness wasn't the result of sin or God's judgment, even if it might have felt like it at times. Instead, God had something special in mind. Something better. Something that they could never have imagined. All those prayers that seemed unanswered hadn't gone unheard. God was doing something even if they couldn't see it. So this morning I wonder, could that be true of your pain as well? Maybe your life doesn't look the way that you hoped it would. Maybe that thing you've prayed years for, Still hasn't happened. You're still not married. Or you are not married anymore. You don't have kids yet. Or you don't have as many kids as you want. Or your health is challenging and hard. Or your career never took off. Whatever it is that caused your life to not look the way you wanted it to be, Whatever your unanswered prayers, those circumstances don't mean you're being judged for sin in your life. Maybe, just maybe, God has something special in mind that you can't even dream of. Something you would never expect. Something beyond your wildest imagination. Maybe all the prayers you think are unanswered just aren't being answered when or how you thought they'd be. Maybe God is up to something right now that seems impossible. That's what it seemed like for Zechariah and Elizabeth here. Because not only had year after year gone by without a child, it says that they were now both advanced in years. I mean, that time of life had passed them by. In fact, most likely they'd given up hope and stopped praying for what seemed like a dream that had died. But then again, this was a priest and his wife, and they knew their Bibles. And so they knew that God had worked in this impossible situation before. In fact, this is something we see repeatedly in the Bible. He did it with Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Hannah and Samson's mother, Manoah. He brought life to a barren woman. So maybe they dared to hope against hope that it was still possible. Somewhere in the dark back recesses of their mind and heart, they were still clinging to a shred of hope. We don't know. Either way, one thing I want you to notice is how they responded to their prayers going unanswered. They did not use the fact that they didn't have a child as an excuse to be bitter against God. Or to say, just forget it. It says they walked blamelessly. They kept God's commandments. They obeyed his word. They didn't make their obedience contingent upon God giving them what they wanted. They were faithful even when life didn't look the way they hoped it would because they knew God was worthy of their praise even in their pain. So again, what about you? Will you be faithful even when your prayers seem to be unanswered? even when God doesn't give you that thing that you want so bad, that you have cried over, that you have pleaded with God for repeatedly, and when he doesn't give it, will you still follow him? Will you keep trusting and obeying him? Because he's worthy of our trust, friends. Because as we'll see, we don't know all that he's up to. Now, one more thing before we move on here. It's worth mentioning something about this couple's names. Names can often be important in the Bible. Not always, but often. And this is one of those cases. Zechariah means God remembers. And Elizabeth means the oath or promise of God. So already, we should be wondering, what is God going to do by bringing together God remembers, and the promise of God? Let's find out. In verses 8 to 9, we come to the scene that I described earlier. Zechariah was serving one of his one-week terms at the temple. And on this one fateful day, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple and burn incense. Now, this tells us, the reason that he included this, is that his being in the temple that day was no accident. Because in Proverbs sixteen thirty three we read, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. That means it was not random that Zechariah was chosen. The decision of the lot that day was from the Lord. God was about to do something. And he waited until the right division out of 24 was on duty. And then he caused the lot to fall on the right man out of 18,000. God sovereignly chose Zechariah, this one man, to be in the temple at this time for this occasion. And notice what the people outside were doing. They were praying. Now most likely this was probably the evening prayer when people would gather to pray mainly for the nation, for the people of God. And they would pray for God to send his Messiah to deliver them and for God's kingdom to come. These prayers were prayers they'd prayed over and over again. These prayers that so far had gone unanswered. Then in verse 11, something completely unexpected happens to Zechariah. Look there. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, I just want you to put yourself in Zechariah's shoes here. This guy was on a spiritual high. I mean, he was as close to the presence of God as he would ever be in this lifetime. See, there's, if you remember, you walked into the temple and there was the holy place, but then there was the most holy place, or the holy of holies, where only the high priest would go once a year. But daily, the priests would be chosen to go into this outer part. But this altar of incense it butted up right up against the curtain that separated it. So imagine, you know that right past this curtain is the presence of God. This was the one time in your life you would be literally arm's length away from the presence of the living God. You have been chosen to represent the people. You're offering the incense which represented their prayers going up to God. This, was, this day was already the highlight of Zechariah's priestly career. I mean, I don't know what he thought he was going to do after this because this was it. And so as he's just basking in it, taking it all in, just, I don't know, emotions surging through him, suddenly he's not alone. I mean, this was, you didn't just wander in. It wasn't like, oh, hey, sorry, I, I bumped in you. Like, he was not expecting there to be anyone in this room. And suddenly, right in front of him, on the right side of the altar of incense, there was the most glorious being he's ever encountered. Now, he'd heard of angels. Of course, he'd heard of angels. He'd read his Bible. But to have one in front of him and here, of all places, and now of all times how would you respond my guess is we'd be just like zechariah verse 12 says he was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him that's a very tame translation this guy was terrified and this is how people almost always respond in the bible to seeing angels why why is it so terrifying because they're coming face to face with the unseen world. We live in a day where it's so easy for us to pretend like all we can see is all there is. That life is completely explainable by reason and by our senses. So when the supernaturally suddenly shows up in front of us, we get terrified. We realize how small and weak and sinful we are And the presence of a being so holy and mighty and pure. And keep in mind, this is just an angel. The same angels that we sang earlier who said, the cherubim and seraphim, falling down before thee. So what does it tell you about God that when we see an angel, we can't help but fall down in terror in front of him, but those same angels, when they see God, they fall down in terror before him. Just let that wash over you that this is our God. When we say he's holy, 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 that's what we mean. And his angel, his messenger, is the one standing in front of Zechariah. So yeah, he's a little terrified. But look what the angel tells him in verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. Now, I don't know what, if he expected the angel to say anything, but this surely left his jaw on the ground. What? My prayer has been heard? Now, the question is, what prayer is he talking about? Most scholars think it's unlikely that Zechariah would have been praying for a son here and now while he's serving in the temple. He's there on behalf of the people, and he would have been expected to pray for God to save the nation and send the Messiah. It would, have, it would have been weird and a little uncouth for him to just pray personal prayers while acting in that capacity. It'd be way weirder than if I came up here on a Sunday morning, and when I'm praying for us in the service, if all of a sudden I'm just praying for my own personal life in front of you. guys are like, that's great, pastor, but what about us? <laughs> this was even... That would have been even more awkward for him to do that. But surely, even if he wasn't doing it then, he had prayed countless prayers asking for a son before. So the question is, was God answering his prayer for deliverance for the people? Or was he answering one of his many other prayers for a son? And I think it's both. And I think it's meant to remind us that God is always doing more than one thing at a time. He doesn't need to choose between answering this couple's prayer for a child or answering the nation's prayer for a Messiah. See, while we're praying tic-tac-toe prayers, God is answering them like a grandmaster chess player. He is billions of moves ahead of us and is doing far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And here he tells Zechariah that one of those unthinkable things he's doing is giving him a son. And what's that son's name going to be? John, which means God is gracious. So what do you get when you put God remembers and God's promise together? You get God's grace. You see what's going on in the story here? Then the angel tells Zechariah a little bit about this son. He says he'll be a source of deep joy and gladness to Zechariah and Elizabeth. The answer to their hearts longing for a son But he won't just make them happy. He says, many will rejoice at his birth. Now, that's not simply just because they're happy for Zechariah and Elizabeth, saying, oh, that's so good for you guys. No, no, no. It says, why will many rejoice at his birth? Verse 15, for he will be great before the Lord. In other words, God is going to do something great with this child. In fact, later in Luke 7, 28, Jesus himself will say, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. That's a pretty big deal. This child is going to be set aside for special kingdom purposes. That's why he's not to drink wine or strong drink. This was similar to what was required of priests when they served in the temple or those who took a Nazarite vow. It was a symbol that they were uniquely consecrated to God. Not only that, this child, it says, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And then we find out what this child's great purpose will be. Look at verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. In other words, this child would be a prophet calling God's covenant people to turn back to the Lord their God. Just like the prophets in the Old Testament, John would call the people of God to repent. That means to turn back again and to change the way they were living, to return to the God of their salvation. Not only that, the angel says John would go before him. So again, whenever you see pronouns, it's good to ask, who's that talking about? So who's him? Now, don't just jump to the answer, oh, well, Jesus, because he went before Jesus. That's who we think of right away. But remember, Jesus hasn't been mentioned yet. The pronoun can't refer to someone that hasn't been mentioned. So who's him? Well, Look at verse 16. It's the Lord their God. In other words, John is going to go before God himself, which means God is coming. And what will John's role be as he goes before God? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. His ministry of calling the people back to covenant obedience would lead to sweeping transformation as families would be restored and individuals would turn from rebellion to embrace true wisdom, the fear of the Lord. All of this would serve to prepare a people for God's coming. And all of this would be done in the spirit and power of Elijah. And what's that all about? Well, you've got to understand what Zechariah heard when the angels said that. As, as I said earlier, there had been centuries of silence from God. But when the last prophet, Malachi, when he had spoken 400 years earlier, here's what he promised. In fact, these were his parting words: "Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Those were the words of promise left ringing in the ears of God's people, the last they'd heard from him for 400 years. Before the Messiah would come to deliver the people, he says there would be a messenger who would prepare the way before him, he would be like Elijah, turning the people's hearts so that they didn't face destruction. And so the people waited and they prayed and they longed for this day to come for 400 years through so many times of suffering, wondering if God would ever answer these prayers. And now the angel says, time has come. That messenger is coming, Zechariah. He's going to be born to you. The answer to his years of praying for a child, the answer to the people's prayers for centuries for God to bring his salvation and send his messenger who would prepare the way for the Messiah. All of these prayers are being answered in a way Zechariah could have never imagined. Now, I don't want you to forget how the angel started. He said, your prayer has been heard. And yet Zechariah had been praying for years. The people had been praying for centuries. So what should this tell us? That the angel says, your, your prayer's been heard, even after years and centuries, if it seems like, I don't know if anybody heard it. It should tell us that long delays don't mean your prayer's been rejected. Keep praying don't lose heart you don't know what God has planned he might be lovingly saying no sometimes that's an answer but he might also wisely be saying not yet so keep praying now as you can imagine hearing this was a lot for Zechariah to process so how does he respond to this incredible astounding promise I mean, does he leap for joy and giggle like a schoolgirl? Does he burst out in praise? Sadly, no. Look at verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Here's Zechariah standing in the most holy place, burning the incense signifying the people's prayers. He's talking to an angel and yet he, he's not sure. He has his doubts. His circumstances carry more weight in his heart than God's promise to him. He's basically saying to the angel, yeah, yeah, I hear you, but that can't happen. Don't you get it? I, I'm old, my wife is old, it won't work. So can you show me some sort of sign to convince me? So the angel says, okay, you want a sign? You got it. But first, before he gives him a sign, look what the angel says in verse 19. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Gabriel's telling him, look, Zechariah, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're worried about who you are, saying, I'm an old man but you forget who's making the promise to you. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and he sent me to bring this good news to you. His point is, don't look for a sign. Believe the word that God spoke to you. Now again, the fact that this is Gabriel, that he's, he tells him his name, and that name, again, as soon as he says, I'm Gabriel, you can bet this priest's bells and censers were all going off and he's like you're what because the last time gabriel showed up was in the book of daniel and in the book of daniel gabriel explains these visions that daniel's having and he tells of a day when god was going to restore his people and deliver them from exile and atone for their sins and nobody's seen him or talked to him since And now this same Gabriel that stood before Daniel hundreds of years earlier is standing in front of Zechariah telling him about a messenger who would prepare the way for God's coming? The promises are coming true. But since Zechariah doubted and wanted a sign, God gives him one. Verse 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. This shows us how seriously God takes unbelief, and yet, how merciful he is. The audacity to doubt God's word while standing in this holy place, hearing it from an angel, is mind-blowing. I mean, God could have rightly just struck Zechariah dead on the spot. And yet he didn't. He mercifully spared him, but also showed him that his word was not to be questioned. This should be a sobering reminder for all of us about the danger of unbelief. As Hebrews 3 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. The fact of the matter is, we have that same audacity. (laughs) We've seen more in some sense than Zechariah has. We've seen the cross. And yet we have the audacity to read God's word and say, I'm not sure. I don't know about that. And yet, God mercifully spares us. But notice the last thing Gabriel says. In spite of Zechariah's unbelief, these things will be fulfilled in their time. Because our doubts cannot stop God's promises. As Zechariah learned, they can hinder our enjoyment of them. I bet you Zechariah would have loved to have gone out and announced to the crowd what he'd just been told and go home and just shout to his wife, Honey, you won't believe what happened today. So yes, our doubts can hinder our enjoyment of God's promises, but God will do what he said. Which brings us to the last point. Unbroken promises. In verse 21, the people are getting a little nervous. Zechariah has been in there for a while. It shouldn't take this long. This happened every day. They know the pattern. They know the rhythm. And it never takes this long. In fact, there was even a rule when priests would go into the temple like this that they were expected to pray short prayers so the people didn't worry that something had happened to them in there. Because don't forget, they are in the presence of God. They are right there, and that is not somewhere you want to trifle with. And so they were expected to go in, do what they were instructed, and come back out so people knew that they were safe. But Zechariah was taking his time. So you can imagine there was a sigh of relief when finally he came out. But wait, something's wrong. Why? Why isn't he saying anything? Normally, the priest comes out and he goes and stands with the other priests and then he pronounces the benediction over them. But Zechariah is there. He, he's not saying anything. He's just flailing his arms wildly. What's this about? Well, the people quickly realize something happened in there. They assume it was a vision and it had left Zechariah unable to speak. So Zechariah silently finishes his week of duties. And then he goes home to somehow try to explain things to his wife. In verse 24, then, what we see is we see God do just what he promised Zechariah. It says, After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now, Elizabeth's prayer here is also full of meaning. Her prayer is a direct quote of what Rachel prayed when God opened her womb and she conceived Joseph back in Genesis 30. Now Elizabeth, again, knew her Bible. She knew this story and she knew that just like Joseph, this child that she conceived, this was a wondrous work of God. This wasn't just, oh, surprise, you're pregnant. This was, God did this. Now perhaps... She even saw the similarity between Joseph's role and John's. In Genesis 45, Joseph tells his brothers that he was sent before them to preserve life and to preserve a remnant. Well, John's mission was going to be the same. He was going to be sent before the Lord to preserve the lives of a faithful remnant. Whether or not Elizabeth recognized this, she praised the Lord for taking away her shame And giving her the son she had longed for. And as we end this morning, I want you to see two things at the end of this story. The first thing we're meant to see here, I think, is that God kept his promises. Both in the sense that he promised Zechariah he would be struck silent for his unbelief, and he was. And he promised that Elizabeth would bear a son, and she conceived. Both in his warnings and in his promises, God did just what he said he would do. Second, the unfolding of God's plan wasn't just a large-scale work, answering the prayers of a nation. He did answer those prayers, but he did it by also answering the prayers of this one couple. He didn't only care for the big picture. God's not just a big picture God that as long as I achieve these big macro level things, eh, who cares what happens down here? He cares about the big picture, but also for the longings and pains of an insignificant old priest and his wife. In the unfolding of God's plan, he mercifully works out his grand purposes through the lives of ordinary people. So friends, My encouragement to us this year is let's pray big, massive prayers for God to send his Messiah again and have him come and restore all things and make all things new. Pray that prayer, but also pray for the desires and longings of your own heart. Those things that maybe you're tempted to give up praying, keep praying them. Take all your burdens to God. The good news, friends, is that our God always keeps his promises. He promised to send a Savior who would rescue his people. He promised to remove our sins and remember them no more. He promised to take away our shame forever. And in Jesus, all the promises of God find their yes and amen. And all of that started with this announcement to Zechariah that his wife would bear a son she would be pregnant with promise in more ways than one. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you as a God who, whose ways are so much higher than ours. Lord, you are abundantly more powerful, infinitely more wise, and you love to remind us that we are mere creatures while you are the creator. Thank you for the, the unexpected ways you have worked and the unexpected ways you're still working today that keep us in our place, dependent on you, looking to you to do things we cannot. We thank you that you worked this way in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Thank you for hearing their prayers and giving them the child they longed for. And thank you for using this child to prepare the way for your son, the one that we longed for, the one who would come and set us free And give us new life in him. We pray this week that you would use their story. To fuel and foster prayer in our own hearts. I pray for those who are tired of praying. Would you reinvigorate them. And I pray for those. Who are too self-reliant to have even begun praying. Would you rightly humble them and show them. The power of prayer and the need for it. Make us an eagerly expectant people, and help us show that by prayerful dependence on you. We ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.